Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Tuesday, September 20th, and we have a jam-packed two-in-one episode for you on this short week for Hokies football. On episode 256 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll look back at the Hokies' win against Wofford on Saturday in Lane Stadium. Then in the second half, we look ahead to the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy between Virginia Tech and West Virginia on Thursday night. All of that and much more coming up on episode 256 of the Tech Sideline Podcast which starts right now. Welcome into episode 256 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Going to be a fun one. Was just saying it's going to be the most ambitious crossover event in Tech Sideline podcast history. We're going to change hosts. We're going to change panelists. We're going to make sure that you get everything you need from the Wofford game, but also looking ahead to Thursday against West Virginia. Before we get started, want to remind you that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks. First Bank and Trust is a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee, with an additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal, agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. We have got a great show coming up for you. We're going to start with Wofford before moving on to the big game on Thursday night in Lane Stadium. First, let's introduce everybody on set. To my right, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline, and he has found his shirt everybody can see every everything's changing at the halfway point of the podcast except my shirt (laughs) we we are going to run around at the break but yes uh we've been talking about trying to find the breathe if you hate west virginia shirt found it imagine (laughs) that it was in a drawer just in time too Uh, across the way for the first half it's david cunningham managing editor for tech sideline in the fourth chair for the first half it's katie adams we are going to swap at the halfway point and i'll take over in the fourth chair behind the scenes jack brisendine is the producer today with some assistance from nick brown and i'm your host jake lyman let's get started guys Uh, let's start with the wofford game on saturday in lane stadium Maybe not the most exciting game you're ever going to see, uh, but it was a pretty packed crowd for an 11 a.m. game against Wofford. It felt like a pretty solid atmosphere, at least at the beginning. I was very impressed. Like, I parked, and I walked through Center Street to get to Lot 2, and I was like, man, this seems like a pretty good atmosphere for an 11 o'clock game. Then you get in the stadium, and it was kind of a late-arriving crowd, but once they got in there, I mean, it was... I, I would not have guessed there had been 62,000 people there for for uh, that early of a game and maybe you know maybe it was embellished slightly but but at the same time like UVA got 40,000 for Old Dominion right and there's no way there didn't look like 40,000 in there I mean that hill was empty when they kicked the game winning field goal so I thought it was a very impressive turnout and obviously Thursday night's going to be even more impressive yeah I I think all things considered an 11 a.m kickoff tech fans did well showed out I was impressed with the students, at least the ones that came out, because by halftime the student section was kind of empty. But, um, but I also 
completely understand this. The students want to go back and get lunch, you know, like after <laughs> what, probably barely eating breakfast. Like. Yeah, I'm, I was when I walked back to my car, there were so many outdoor tailgates going on. That's People too. having a good time outdoors with TVs, watching other games. Yeah, and, 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 the and it's such a beautiful yeah. day outside. You know, that's fine. Take a little break before West Virginia. Save yeah. save your voice. And, and it was nice. Game was over before 2 o'clock. You, you get out of the so stadium. Fast. You have that the rest amazing. of the day. I'm, there was some great college football the rest of the night. Right? Tech ran the ball so much, and then they completed such a high percentage of their passes, over 70% of their passes, yeah. I think. So the clock hardly ever stopped in that game. So I thought it was ideal. It was ideal, I think. It, it was almost like a scrimmage being played with a running clock. Yeah, that's the thing. Tech. Tech's game was almost over. Tech Tech's game was over like when most of the noon games were start like halfway through or halfway starting through. the third yeah. quarter. Like that was nice. You got to get out of there, go watch the three thirty, the three thirty kickoffs and everything else after that and. It was a pretty good, entertaining weekend of college football, too. Definitely. And and speaking of the atmosphere, Will Stewart, who's going to join for the second half, he got a nice video of uh, Venner Sandman uh, that's on our YouTube page. Make sure you check that out. Field level, got to see everything from Johnny Cash all the way to the crowd singing after they cut the music off. So uh, make sure you check that out as well. Let's talk about the game, though. Uh, was this game kind of what we expected? The defense was good, made one mistake on a big play and allowed Wofford to score their first points of the year in the, in the offense obviously still working through some things but showed some good flashes that maybe lead into West Virginia you know the score line you know could have could have been worse of course uh now in fairness that Wofford touchdown came after a play in which I thought they clearly fumbled yep and so I don't think they should have had the ball to score but you know I guess I could be wrong um offensively it was one of those weird games where like if you look at I talked about available yards in, in a Friday Q&A last week. An available yard percentage is like, you know, let's say you start on your own 20-yard line. That means you have 80 available yards in front of you because that's how many yards it is to the end zone. And, and you gain, you know, 60 of, the, of those yards. Uh, whereas, let's say you force a turnover and you only have to go 40 yards for a touchdown. You don't have as many total yards as the other team but you have 100% available yards percentage. Well, Virginia Tech in the first half against Wofford had a 79% available yards percentage. That would have actually ranked first in the country last year. Um, they were moving the football in the first half. Uh, it's just, you know, when things get condensed, uh, the closer you get to the end zone, there's less space to maneuver in. So you've got to be more precise with your run blocking, and you need playmakers to break tackles. And uh, that's not where Tech is is an offense right now. So I thought they improved, certainly in the passing game, they improved uh, between the 20s, but they, they've got to get better the closer they get to the end zone because they'll need they'll need more offensive production to beat these teams coming up on their, on their schedule. Yeah, I thought the defense was what you'd expect. You know, Chris Marv was calling plays um, late, late in the, late game, in the game. Yeah, and I had, some, I had one or two people ask me if it was the series that, that uh, Wofford scored on. And I believe so, but you also have to to think that it was all the backups that were in at that point too. So it was kind of a whole collection of things, um, and the game was already put away at that point. It was twenty seven nothing. But I thought the offense, I thought the offense looked better. Yes, you're obviously playing an FCS opponent, but the fact that Jaden Blue, Christian Moss, I mean, eleven different guys caught a pass. That is an intriguing part of this offense, which is something we haven't seen. Caleb Smith 
caught a couple passes and then got nicked up again. And whether or not I, I, from everything, it sounds like he's going to be fully healthy for West Virginia on Thursday, but you need other options behind him. And to see a Christian Moss catch five passes, to see a Jaden Blue come out of the woodwork and catch four passes in the fashion that he did, tiptoeing down the sideline and or toe-tapping and uh, jumping high over the middle and, and catching a pass. Tech moved the ball, and I liked the way Wells distributed it. I thought he had Grant Wells had a pretty good game uh, and kind of saw the field well. Now it's kind of just putting that finishing touch on. When you get to the red zone, you have to be able to convert when you get when you're playing against West Virginia or North Carolina or any of these teams who probably have a better offense than they do a defense where you have to capitalize on your opportunities. And Virginia Tech didn't do it exactly right 100% of the time against Wofford, but you hope when Keyshawn King comes back and Caleb Smith's fully healthy that this is a team that can do that, especially if the run blocking improves. Yeah, uh, I thought the passing game improved in, in that, you know, pa- the passing game is all about timing and trust. And I thought the timing was much better. And Grant Wells showed some serious trust in in his receivers, particularly Jaden Blue on the on the sideline catch. Yeah. And also the third and long up the seam where he just threw it up between two defenders yeah. and, and depended on Blue to go up and get it. And and you have to have wide receivers can make plays for your quarterback like that, and you have to have a quarterback who trusts your receivers to make those plays. I was watching some highlights this morning of the 2017 Virginia Tech-West Virginia game, and there were similar plays in that game where Josh Jackson just trusted Cam Phillips, and Phillips made the plays for him. Um, there's only, only so many plays you can call as an offensive coordinator or a play caller. Uh, I mean, you got to have some dudes out there to, to make plays for you. I mean, yeah. that's just the way it is. Um, so I think they took it. Granted, it's Wofford. But I, I saw a trust factor that maybe wasn't there yeah. earlier in the season. And maybe a, a healthier Jaden Blue than we saw before. Because if you remember, he only played 10 snaps against Boston College. He missed most of, of the preseason with an injury. So so that's a good sign. Um, regardless of opponent, that, that's a good sign. So hopefully that's, that's something they can keep moving forward in and obviously Christian Moss targeting him early and often five catches 50 yards I think he's got the highest ceiling of any wide receiver in in that room and I forget the exact number but I think he was on the field for 12 or 13 passing plays and he got a pass on five of them that that's a really really high high percentage percentage. yeah and I think you they targeted Nick Gallo the tight end Mm -hmm. a lot too I mean when when you have 11 different guys catch a pass, I feel like that's just a pretty impressive number in, in general. It shows that you're spreading the ball around, and, and Grant Wells and Brent Prybo said after the game that this is kind of what they, they want the offense to be, assuming they have the guys that can make the plays. And, and as you were just talking about, if you plug Caleb, a healthy Caleb Smith into this offense and a healthy Keyshawn King – Hopefully that's what it looks like against West Virginia, and it might look completely different. And it felt like going into the season, wide receiver depth or target depth was the issue that maybe Grant Wells doesn't have enough people to throw to, but you mentioned 11 guys catch a pass. Maybe if Christian Moss can maybe slide into that wide receiver three roll behind Blue and Smith, it feels like it's starting to grow with this offense, and you hope that they peak at this tough stretch coming up. And, and you you keep hoping for something out of Dwan Dwayne, Dwayne Lofton, yeah. right? Because he was the guy... Fuente sat in that chair last year and called him a stud. And every player and every coach you talked to this preseason was like, oh, yeah, he's really good and he's going to have a breakout year. Like Literally every player I asked, what player on offense is going to break out this year? A young guy that maybe fans don't know a lot about. Every single one of them said Lofton. 
all of them. So there has to be something there, right? Uh, some people have said he looks gimpy. I, I don't know, but uh, I, I do know that I want, uh, if he is 100%, I, I think he's capable of producing more than he has so far. So uh, Thursday night would be uh, a, great, good time. a good time to turn it on, I would say. Yeah, so Tech, Tech completed 28 passes. Christian Moss had five receptions. Nick Gallo had five. Jaden Blue had four. Steven Gosnell, Jalen Holson had three each. Caleb Smith and Dewan Lofton had two. And then Jalen Jones, Connor Blumrick, William Kakavitsis, and Will's favorite, Bryce Duke, on the mm-hmm. wheel route, the touchdown. They each had one catch. So I like the way, obviously, some of those guys are not going to be impact guys. I, I think a guy like Jalen Jones is still progressing, and he's not ready to, you know, to catch five passes in a game like Christian Moss is. But to have a guy like Bryce Duke, his first ever big snaps, catches a wheel route pass for a touchdown, you know, it goes back to that trust. And Grant Wells, after the game, I asked Grant Wells about it, and I asked Bryce Duke about it. And Grant Wells was like, I I trusted Bryce Duke was going to make the play. Like, I just just believed in him. And and Bryce Duke was like, no, I mean, I... I knew I was going to make it like well, he's yeah. wide open. You better make it. Yeah. Well, and, and, <laughs> but, but that's the kind of, of, of thing you have to have. And I think tech does have it. And a guy like tech, tech didn't really get involved was Connor Blumrick. So I, I also think through the first three games, tech has been not completely, but sort of vanilla. And this is obviously a game where you don't need to be vanilla anymore because it actually matters. Yeah, um, I, I guess we can talk about the elephant in the room, and that's you know the running game. And the run blocking needs to get better across the board. It was better in some instances. Uh, Drake Dulius was a lot better this past game than, than he was the first couple games. Um, how much better they actually were, you know, I mean, because you're taking it in Wofford into account. Uh, I, I don't know, but certainly needs to take a step forward on Thursday. But really, the the big a big well not a big issue on Saturday was was uh, running backs not forcing any missed, missed tackles, tackles yeah. either by running through tackles or juking guys. Um, so thirty one combined carries between Jalen Holston and Chance Black, zero forced missed tackles, none, not one. Kashawn King has nine forced missed tackles in. 23 carries this year is, 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 is an example. So that goes to show you exactly how much Kashawn King means to the running offense. Bryce Duke came in and had one forced missed tackle on six, six carries. Holston is who he is at this point. He's never been that, that type of running back. Um, Black is, seems more like he's got a wide receiver build and he's playing running back. And remember they were working him at wide receiver and then, and Kashawn King some too, and then, you know, all the running backs got hurt, so, you know, here you go. Here's your top two backs, right? Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Black as a uh, as a wide receiver at some point in the future, uh, if if not later this year, then, then certainly in the spring. Um, I, I'm interested in seeing more of Bryce Duke. Uh, I, they only asked him to pass Block once on Saturday, which probably shows that, like most young backs, He's behind there. I mean, there's a reason Malachi Thomas didn't really start getting carries until October last season, probably because it just took him a while to pick up pass blocking. But when you think about it, they've only asked Chance Black to pass block twice in three games. 
So they're not completely. Meanwhile, they've asked Holston to pass block 17 times. Yeah. They're more comfortable with him pass blocking than the other guys. So I, I think if, you, if you've got two backs that you're not comfortable with in terms of protection, you play the one that is most likely to net you positive things when they have the ball in their hands. And uh, Black has had some nice runs this year, and I don't think his I think his vision is is pretty good. But uh, I, and it's a small sample size, and again, it's it's Wofford's defense. But you got to wonder at some point if uh, if Duke's going to surpass if, if, Black, du- if Duke's yeah. going to get start getting more snaps there. And I don't just mean Black; I mean Holston too. At yeah. some point. Um, because Holston is a six-year senior. I think, I think it, it all kind of comes down to, to the, the health of Keyshawn King and Malachi Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if, if I, I'm sure King will play on Thursday night. Oh, yeah. If he doesn't, then Tokies are in a lot of trouble. Um, but it's you know, assuming Malachi Thomas comes back at some point and and he and he gets back healthy and gets back into football shape and and he and King are both healthy at the same time, then. I think that affords you the opportunity if you want to work in a third back. It could be Bryce Duke. It could be Bryce Duke because you're not going to be leaning him for a ton of carries, but you're going to get him in there enough to where you justify burning his red shirt. And we we talked about it last week that we really hoped Keyshawn King and Malachi Thomas would not see the field against Wofford, and and you got your wish there. Uh, Kept them healthy. Uh, but I am upset. We like I, I love having you on here, David. But we're talking Bryce Duke, and we don't have Bryce Duke's fan club owner. Uh, uh, he'll be on, on here set. in the second half. I'm sure he'll talk Bryce Duke uh, in the second half. But uh, but Bryce Duke again. He had a solid game: six carries, 25 yards, and then that touchdown catch. Um, but you mentioned the offensive line struggles at times. The play that stands out is that first drive of the game, the fourth, the and, fourth one, and one, yeah. where yep. Wofford's defensive line kind of blew up the the Tech offensive front. I went back and watched the replay, and the guy who made the tackle came slicing in unblocked from the left. Silas Janzi and Jesse Hansen just went and blocked the same guy at the second level, and nobody blocked the one guy who came through. So, like... And I think it was Janzi's guy because it was outside of Janzi. There's no way Hanson could have gotten that block. So, like, I, I don't get it. Like, Janzi's an experienced player. Uh, I can understand, like, not being a fit for certain things. Like, they're asking him to pull a lot on those pin and pull plays. And I don't know if he's the best fit for that. He's always been a better uh, drive blocker, a guy right, blocking a guy right in front of him than he has pulling in the past. So I don't know if he's the greatest fit from a scheme standpoint. But on that particular play... I mean, as a sixth-year senior, it just, I don't know. I, there, there's a lot of guys on this offensive line with playing experience that aren't playing as well as they have in the past, and that goes for tight ends as well. That could get fixed this week. That could get fixed in November. It might not get fixed at all this year. We, we just don't know at this point. So I think the Tech offense has a higher ceiling than we've shown so far, for sure. Um are we going to reach that ceiling? I don't know. I, I do think at some point Tech will be healthier, for sure. Is that offensive line going to come around and run blocking? That, that That's what I want to see. Yeah, and I think it makes it even more important that you have a running back that can force missed tackles because if yep. if Keyshawn King isn't healthy, as Chris said, there was only one forced missed tackle last week on however many rushes, and that was true freshman Bryce Duke. So if you don't have Keyshawn King – yeah, I mean, it's, look, Tech has had backs rush for 1,000 yards before without great blocking in front of them. I mean, that 2006 offensive line almost got Glennon killed, right? But Brandon Orr still rushed for 1,100 yards that year. He had this great jump cut. Like, 
almost every single play, the defensive tackle would get penetration. And Brandon Orr would just juke him in the backfield and then run through the vacated <laughs> hole, right? So that's how, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's crazy. So, yeah, with a guy like Keyshawn King or Malachi Thomas, yeah. if healthy, yeah, yeah that, that could be a, a big weapon, but you just need him to be healthy. They could have success despite the offensive line struggles, yeah. which right now it feels like Holston and Black are still going to struggle with that. Uh, we still have a few more things to mop up with Wofford, but first let's check in with Katie in the fourth chair for the first time. Big development in the NIL world yesterday as you can now purchase Virginia Tech players' jerseys on Fanatics. So well, I had we know a whose quick... jersey Will Stewart's getting. Well, that's funny because <laughs> someone just commented in the chat, like, has Will solidified his man crush by purchasing a Bryce Duke jersey yet? So not sure the answer to that. But um, wanted to ask you guys a quick question regarding that. Which player on this current roster do you think is going to benefit the most from having their jersey sold? And which player in the past do you think would have benefited the most? And you can't say Michael Vick. Oh, uh, we can't say Michael Vick. Uh, I think that would right be the now. Easy I feel answer, like it. But. I feel like right now it'd be like Dax. I feel like Dax Highfield's probably. Be, yeah, like like yeah. I don't feel like there's like he's been here the longest for sure. And outside of Dax, I don't feel like there's a player on this team that Tech fans are as familiar with. Yeah. Now, if Kashawn King goes out there and has a couple more 100-yard games, including Thursday night, then, you know, yeah. you might Or have if Grant Wells plays well. Yeah, yeah. Always your starting quarterback should be a popular option. But I would guess if they put your, you know, if you counted them at the end of the season based on everything we know right now, I would guess probably Dax. Um all time besides Michael Vick. Yeah. It has to be Tyrod, right? Probably. I would guess Tyrod. I would yeah. guess Tyrod. Either Ty Tyrod, David Wilson, or Ryan Williams, probably. Yeah. One of those three. But I would I, I would think Tyrod being the quarterback. Especially, you know, winning three ACC championships. It's I, like I still see Tyrod jerseys around. Like yeah, I still yeah. see students wearing five jerseys. Yeah. Right. And they weren't even they yeah. were, early live when he was playing here <laughs> um so yeah i i think that would be tyrod there's some good options i, I would there, probably though. i would probably guess tyrod um who, who would you think would be the number one the top defensive player that's what i'm that's hmm. what i'm curious about that's like would it be cam chancellor can't. Yeah, I think or, Macho Harris. Or Macho Harris. Yeah, you could actually just put Macho back there. It'd be much cooler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting that um, y'all say Dax for like this current team because I would agree, but it's also like I'm curious if people would put stock in the fact that like this is his last year as it's a Hokey it's though. True. So it's like you wear it for one season and the season's already yeah. whatever, four games in. But maybe you buy some early stock and, and get in on like Malachi Thomas or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Uh, maybe a Kishon King. Like yeah. if, if, I, if I was going to buy a jersey and right now and, I, and, I, and a player's jersey. Uh, and I knew I was going to get a chance to wear it for, you know, the next few years. Bryce Duke. Uh, uh, Bryce Duke would be an option, yeah. Uh, but but we can't have two people with the same jersey on oh, the podcast. Well, yeah. You know? <laughs> so I would. There's some young guys I have in mind. C.J. McCray, uh, Kashawn King, Cole Nelson could be here for at least another year. Uh, yeah, Cole's going to be a good player. I don't know if he'll be the dynamic pass rusher. That, that C.J. McCray. Well, and he's, a, he's in the 17, yeah. which it's a good look, too. Cr Cam, Cam's yeah, old number. Yeah. Um, Christian Moss would, would be mm. another one that you could think about. If Bryce Duke, or excuse me, if Will does buy a Bryce Duke jersey, he has to wear it on set, no, I, I believe. Absolutely. I'll say this. Um, tech lacks star power right now. Yeah. So the re we're having this conversation, and we're trying to figure out <laughs> whose jersey we'd buy. 
and it's not because there's a whole bunch of good players and or great players that that are well known, but and we can't choose between them. It's because Tech has a bunch of like solid guys, yeah. but they don't have anybody that is a proven star. I feel at like this that. Point. Yeah, like you would probably classify Taiwan Garvin and Dorian Strong as those, somebody those needs those to really throw Narelle Pollard guys. some love. He's the highest grading defender this yeah, season. Pollard doesn't good. get any credit for it. It's tough because defensive tackles usually don't get their jerseys but bought, but he is wear, he, he's no. wearing the three, so. Yeah, maybe, I'll, maybe I'm, he's got another year after this because of COVID. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll throw him some love and get a get a Neural Pollard jersey. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thanks for that, Katie. Yeah, we'll we'll all have to buy one NIL jersey and just sit on set with it, uh, and, and we'll we'll see who who uh, has the most popular one. Uh, let's go back to Wofford. Uh, mentioned Grant Wells. He looks solid again. Three hundred fourteen yards, two touchdowns. But we also got our first look at Jason Brown, although it was limited he only yeah. threw three passes but some some good accuracy for him on his limited te- attempts yeah and you know that's what you expect he's a veteran guy who's played at the fcs excuse me fcs level he's played at the sec level just i mean he's he's i think the offense suits him um so you know if, if something were to happen to grant wells um i would feel confident i would certainly feel more confident than i did last year it, when, when Burmeister got hurt um so yeah, and it was good to get him a little time but like that. You would have liked to have gotten him more. more but yeah. uh, at the same time, like, the Wofford game was important because you, you want your, your guys who are going to be playing the rest of the year to, to really be able to get their timing down or try to get their timing down. So uh, and then maybe that was something I discounted a little bit too much before the game. Because, like, Tech, still, they didn't play Braylon more, right? They still didn't play any backup offensive linemen. Even when it was a 20-point, they played Bob Schick because, you know, because, people got hurt. Yeah, because um, Caden Moore went down. So, and, and Well, at one point in the first half, uh, Caden Moore went down, so Schick came in at right guard. Then Janzy uh, went down, so Schick came in at left tackle. <laughs> so you have to assume that if he's the backup left tackle, he's also the backup right tackle, right? So I'm pretty sure Bob Schick is the backup at almost every single position except center. So this offensive line, could you could have five starters and, and Bob Schick written second <laughs> string at four positions and probably Jack Holyfield second string center. Uh, I think they're going to try to redshirt Braylon Moore at this point. If you were going to if you were going to play him, did you push the button? Are you pushing the button? Good. Um, if you were go, if you weren't if you were definitely going to play him, you would have played him on the last drive uh, uh, against Wofford, yep. wouldn't you? Um, and the thing is, like, if, but you'd also don't want to waste a playing appearance in a meaningless fourth quarter last drive against Wofford. Yeah. What if somebody gets hurt and you need Braylon Moore the last four games of the season, and you had already played him against Wofford? That means when you play him those last four games, he goes over the redshirt limit at that point, right? Yep. Um. So I, I think they're going to try and redshirt those guys. Is what it seems like to me. I'm not saying he's never going to play, but I'm saying at this point. It's been three games, and they were up by 17 at the end of the Boston College game, and they didn't put him in. They were up by 20 at the end of the Wofford game, and they didn't put him in. Or the left tackle. Oh, goodness, what's his name? The true freshman. Janzy? Oh. No. Oh, Chaplin. Chaplin. They, didn't, they, they didn't put him in either. Yeah. Uh, Daquan Wright, who they're really high on. They haven't put him in, and they had opportunities to do that, and they didn't. Yeah. So I actually think they're going to try to redshirt as many of these guys as possible, which— you know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest things is like there's still so many kinks to work out in this offense, no doubt. right? We've talked 
all, you know, we spent so much time talking about, not just on this podcast, but previous ones, about how poor the run blocking has been. This is a, an offensive line where almost every single one is a veteran coming into this year, and the best graded offensive lineman, at least going into last week, was Jesse Hansen, the guy who had played the least amount of snaps. Right. So, like, what what's going on up there? You've got two veteran tight ends who haven't played necessarily well in the run blocking game. Yes, Nick Gallows caught a lot of passes, but, like... I just think across the board, that Wofford game could have been used two ways. It could have been if you feel confident and comfortable with what your offense, or, or on both sides of the ball, but what your offense is currently doing, okay, then you can play the young guys. Yes. If you don't, it's an opportunity to, as long as nobody's going to get hurt, you you work out the kinks and you try to, to try to nail down some of these things. Yep. And, and yeah. you could see by their rotation on defense that they feel comfortable with defense. I yeah. mean, they had true freshman Kyrie Moiston in there at defensive end in like the first quarter. Yeah, uh, They were very, very comfortable. Uh, Kelly Lawson played more snaps at, at, at uh, Will Linebacker than either McDonald or Jaden Keller, and that was his first defensive action on the season. Uh, just they wanted to get him reps. So, yeah, I, I, they feel very comfortable about what they have on the defensive side of the ball, and they worked in more younger guys. But clearly guys they don't offensively. Offensively, absolutely. They, they, you know, they, they worked in Jalen Jones some, obviously Christian Moss more. And I think guys they, they feel like that have high ceilings and could be better players by the yeah, end of the end yeah. of the season. But as far as the backup offensive linemen, like, like they were those backup offensive linemen were pretty far behind the starters when the season began. And we've seen the starters perform at a, at a subpar level. So how far? So if you actually put a backup offensive lineman in the game or multiple backup offensive linemen, what would it look like? Yeah. So I think if you're Virginia Tech, you just have to knock on wood and, and hope that none of those guys get injured. Bob Schick is going to be the MVP of the offensive line this year. <laughs> if, if if Chaplin and and Braylon Moore can redshirt, Bob Schick becomes an extremely important player just because his presence and his versatility may allow them to redshirt. It's not quite like two or three years ago when it felt like Vance Vice had two separate lines oh of God. offensive linemen that he could just throw one over the boards and they'd be fine out there. Well, th this is more normal. Yes. Like, and, and no, don't get me, uh, we have less depth than most teams, but most teams aren't anywhere near what Virginia Tech had on the <laughs> offensive line the last couple of years, man. That was unique. Well, let's talk defense a little bit. There's not much to talk about on the defensive side because they were good again. They have been all three games so far, uh, but... Chris touched on it with the near fumble near the goal line that led to the Wofford touchdown. David, up in the, the press box, did you think that was a fumble? Because in the stands, that replay, it looked like the ball was out. I thought it was, but honestly, there was, what, a couple minutes left, and I wasn't going to complain about getting out of there <laughs> early. Um, I just wanted the replay to be over. But, yeah, I thought it was a fumble. And, and, you know, I think as, like, Again, Chris Marv was calling those plays, and I think that's good experience to to get him calling defensive plays, even if he does give up a touchdown, because it's a, a game that's already put away. But I don't think I've ever seen a head coach put in the backup defensive coordinator in the middle of a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because Pry was asked, Brent Pry was asked about it yesterday, and he was like, "Yeah." Um, Chris Marv called some of the last couple series. It was a good experience for him, and. Um, but, of course, you know, everything was kind of all over the place because it was, you know, new personnel, like young guys. And and then, uh, of course, people are like, oh, my God, does that mean Chris Marv gave up the touchdown? Like, <laughs> okay, all right. 
Well, when you look at the replay review, I think we're willing to trade that loss for the non-targeting call on Shamari Connor. Yes, I, I did not. <laughs> I, I was freaking out I, when that happened. I was like, "Oh I, my god!" That's the worst possible thing that could have happened. That, at that, point. L- that looked like targeting. What, 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 what uh, got him is like he didn't hit him exactly on the top of the head. It was more like right there between the side of the head and the crown of the head. It wasn't a directly crown. I remember watching the replay, and I said. That's about as textbook targeting as you can possibly get. So uh, I think Tech might have caught a break. There. I think I think they're getting. I think they seem to be a little more lenient this year. Yeah. Is what a lot of the TV announcers are saying because yeah. I was watching a Notre Dame game on, on the week, over the weekend and uh, got who they're playing. They're playing Cal. Cal, and the Cal guy got ejected, but it was directly on the top of the head, yeah. directly on the crown. And the announcers were saying that. That that mattered. The, 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 yeah, that that that's a big deal. Like like if it's not directly on the crown, they're less likely to to call it th- this year. Well, big for the Hokies because Chamari Connor would have not been able to play for the first half against West Virginia. Yeah. That would have been not good, not good at all. Uh, before we turn the page from Wofford, let's get some special teams love in there. Uh, Will tweeted about Will Ross, who apparently had never played football up until the ODU game. Yeah, that. Uh, wow. Um, yeah. He was at the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I tweeted that, and somebody was like, I've never heard of the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. Of course Academy. they haven't. And it's like, they're like, did you mean a club academy? No, I meant the U.S. Soccer Developmental Academy. <laughs> yes. Literally um, what I typed. Yeah. He, uh, he's had an interesting journey. He's a guy that, that probably would have gone out of high school. His original plan was to, like, go overseas and play soccer, which, you know, if you're playing for the U.S. Soccer Developmental Academy, I cannot blame you. Um and uh, and then he ended up walking on to Coastal Carolina, and then he ended up transferring to South Carolina and didn't play. And he wasn't really, I mean, I guess he was on the roster, but he didn't like do anything. And then he transfers to Virginia Tech, walks on under Justin Fuente, and now all of a sudden he's the the kicker, and he's never kicked because he didn't kick in high school. Which, if Brent Pry is like, oh, yeah, you know, good on Stu Holt for not telling me. I feel like yeah, I want to know. Uh, <laughs> like, if my kicker had well, never kicked in a game before. Yeah, well, either way, like, even the, the backup kicker is a true freshman, so he's never kicked in a college game Love, before. Yeah. But, but, but uh, it's, I think you don't, I don't know if people truly appreciate that. Like, football is a sport. It's a bunch of big dudes moving at a very fast speed. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the fact that Will Ross can kind of step in and, and he's five for five already. Yeah, summer. that's that's impressive uh, concentration. On his part, because it's just not something you're used to. It's just having a lot of people that big flying around you that fast. And if uh, you if and I think a lot of you know I I think it's fair to say that a lot of these guys on this team and just in college football in general have probably played since they were like anywhere between oh yeah. five and ten years old. <laughs> and then you've got this guy who has never played a, a football game, not college, but a football game in his life, and just waltzes into the stadium and, and then I was five for five yeah. on, and, yeah. and on not, not chip shots either. I want to say four have been from 40 plus yards. 40. So, so that makes yeah. you think he probably would have been, he probably would have been what? Six for six had that, uh, that snap and <laughs> at old dominion, not gone over Peter Moore's hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Maybe we have a third string kicker too from the cadets. Uh, finally, somebody made the oh kick for goodness, cash on the amazing. field. Uh, that that was really cool too. Uh, I want to say you won a thousand dollars for that. No hesitation too. Just First time ever. Knocked like, it right through. Wonder if he did that in high school. I bet he did. It's like a possibility. Because he he looked pretty confident. When he was doing one. it in his like complete uniform. Well, it was impressive <laughs> in those shoes. 
Yeah. Yeah. He was able to do it. Yeah. 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 So good special teams from Will Ross. Peter Moore. And the fans. And Peter Moore. Uh, Peter Moore maybe got more chances than he wanted (laughs) to uh, against Wofford, but he did a good job with it. Uh, Yeah. Like I wrote in my Sunday article that I enjoy watching him punt. I just wish I didn't have to watch it so often. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a, a, a punter is like a nuclear bomb. It's like a really powerful weapon that you hope you don't have to use. Right. Well, he maybe used more often than they wanted to, but again, Peter Moore continuing his maybe Ray Guy Award campaign early on. And let's give DJ Harvey some credit. He's yep. he's, he's he's showing more bravery and confidence and coming up and catching those short punts. Yep. And it's not costing Tech a bunch of field position like it did against ODU. Yeah. yeah. We, oh, we, you know it's also of note. Cole Beck might start. He's he might return some kickoffs this yeah, weekend. Yeah, if they kick it to him. Yeah, he's uh yesterday in when Monday's depth chart was released. Um, Chance Black. They they basically took Keyshawn King out of the kickoff return game just because he's so Probably valuable. And you don't want to get yeah. him hurt or anything. Um, so now it's Chance Black and and Cole Beck as the top two kickoff returns. So maybe you'll see Cole Beck return in a kickoff. That'd be interesting. Could see some elect- electric returns from the Blacksburg native uh, on Thursday night. And we are going to turn the page to West Virginia after the break. Here we're going to switch around. Katie's going to take over in the host chair. I'm going to the fourth chair. David's going off. Will's coming. In. We've got a line change coming, but we will talk West Virginia, the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy coming up on Thursday night. That preview coming up on the second half of episode 256 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome you back into episode 256 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. Jake Lyman led our Wofford recap discussion in the first half. Katie Adams joining you now as we look ahead and preview West Virginia. Reminder, if you are watching in the YouTube chat, continue to drop any questions you have for Will and Chris in the chat. And we'll get to those with Jake at the end of the show. Well, as the season progresses, the matchups get more and more exciting. And I cannot think of a better way to end this September slate than West Virginia Thursday night in Lane Stadium. Feels good to have the Mountaineers coming to town for the first time in 18 years. Yeah, I was a senior in college the last time uh, West Virginia was here, and it was great. Uh, The reason beating them in 2004 and 2005 felt so good is because Tech had lost to them in 2002 and 2003. That's what a rivalry is all about. And I'll never forget rushing the field after that 2004 game and running down to the south end zone, of course, to taunt all the West Virginia fans. And I've just never seen such a wall of middle fingers directed (laughs) in my direction and water bottles thrown at me and everything. And I just stood there and embraced it. It was fantastic. It's what college football is all about. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, West Virginia was ranked number six in the country. Yeah. That day. Um, And it's funny you mentioned the middle fingers. Uh, While I was waiting to, to do my session i was making up the thumbnail that's eventually going to wind up on the home page and, and on the youtube uh, <laughs> I know what uh, archive of this and there were no middle fingers but i got a really uh, uh russian hookie ivan morozov took a really cool picture up in morgantown where uh, it's an isolation shot of chamari connor and he's kind of just it's hard to describe the look on his face it's kind of like this 
and there's a wall of WVU fans behind him just yelling and screaming. So it's this cool juxtaposition of the white and maroon and, of course, the yellow and, and, and blue. We've got a great picture also taken by Yvonne from the 2005 West Virginia game. And it's Actually, a, that was me. I took that You picture. took that one yep. on the sideline? Yep. Of, all right, so there's a player, and we won't say who, but he's flipping the crowd the bird behind yeah. the behind the West Virginia yeah. bench. And, like, Vince Hall's right next to him. Laughing. And they're, they're all just laughing at the <laughs> West Virginia fans and everything. I mean, I have missed this so much. So that was uh, – uh, I was in the WVU press corps a couple of times. Um WVU let me in the press box in 2001 and 2005, well before Virginia Tech ever let Tech sideline in the press box. <laughs> of course. Now, they, they didn't give us press box, box access in 2003 because there was just so much demand because Tech was a, a, a top five football Number three, team. Number yeah. three, thank you. Now, we did have Russian Hokie on the field in 2003 shooting photos. They did allow that. And someone, I'll never forget this, somebody took a picture of uh, from the stands of Yvonne standing in the end zone. And remember, the 2003 game was the brutal one, you know. And and by the way, so a couple of things. Yvonne took a picture of a of a police officer holding a bottle. It's fortunate I'm drinking a Diet Mountain Dew. Holding a soda bottle this size, filled with sand and probably batteries too. And 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 the officers just holding it and looking up into the stands. Projectiles. And, and there is there's another picture that somebody took from the stands where Yvonne's all by himself and. The field is in front of him, but he's standing in the end zone and he's just looking over his shoulder at the crowd. <laughs> no, remember Ravon's Russian. He's experienced a oh, lot. He's, he's, he's been through some he's stuff. He's been in the Red Army, all that stuff. And still the stuff that was going on in the crowd behind him in Morgantown was surprising. <laughs> so the uh, um, WVU's policy, and, and, and this used to be a common policy, old school media policy, is you'd be in the press box working the game, but they would let you at the beginning of the fourth quarter or at some point in the fourth quarter, they would march you down to the field because at WVU, the, uh, the the media interviews were uh, in Milan Puskar, I think is the name of their stadium. Mm -hmm. They have a media room down kind of in their, their version of the south end zone. So you walk down to the field at some point in the fourth quarter and actually spend a good portion of the fourth quarter on the field. And uh, and, and that's and so they, David says they still do it that way. Um, and so I was down there with a digital camera in 2005, and I'm the one who got the picture of uh, this particular Virginia Tech football player. And you know, by that by then the game was decided. If they had, if if there's a picture of one of our players doing that to West Virginia fans after a win on Thursday night, I'll buy that player's jersey for NIL. That is correct. That'll be an NIL <laughs> poster for that for that player. Oh, that would be great. The anyway. dark side of NIL. Virginia Tech would be horrified if we sold like a thousand posters. <laughs> And, and some athlete made money off that. <laughs> well, what's your take on how the players feel about this rivalry? Because none of them are really old enough to know what it was like at the peak. Do you think the close loss in Morgantown last year is enough to get them fired up to play? Uh, it, it, I, I think that their uh, level of being fired up will be no more than any other. Uh, you know, these are athletes getting ready to play a quality opponent in front of a big crowd. Um, maybe our players haven't talked about this, but maybe they experienced some stuff last year that adds a little bit of juice to it. And having first and goal at the two, third and goal at the two, excuse me, and not finishing has uh, is, is got to be a regret of the guys that were there. But Dax talked about that. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, these guys, they. I was actually thinking about this uh, this morning. 
there were so many good games in this rivalry that most of our football players, they were either little kids or they weren't even born. Mm. You know, um, the, of course, the 95, the 95 game was, was, was a big one for Tech. 99 game stands out. Um, oh, man, dude, you can go back to the 80s. Yeah. When West Virginia went unbeaten in 88, and then Tech went up to Morgantown and beat them in 89. Yeah. The 93 game, which Tech lost by one, West Virginia went unbeaten that year. Right. Yes. Uh, um, and, and Tech missed a field goal that would have won. The 2005 game, West Virginia went 11 in Virginia Tech. So these, these, both these fan bases, and this is why it's such a great rivalry, and I'm sad that it may never yeah. get played again. Both fan bases, both programs have been at the very pinnacle of college football, undefeated, playing in huge bowl games, but didn't quite win a national championship. Right. Uh, both stadium sizes are similar. Uh, I know their fans are, are rowdy, but uh, or some of them are, but they deeply care about football, just like Virginia Tech fans. And like this is the type of rivalry that college football is built on. Yep. Um, and the, uh, the one difference between the two schools is that the entire state of West Virginia buys into WVU. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's I don't really have the words to describe the culture of not just college athletics in the state of West Virginia, but high school athletics. Athletics is very important in West Virginia. And I know it is in Virginia, but there's, again, I don't, I can't describe what it is that's different. And yes, Virginia is a much larger state. How many people live in West Virginia? A million people? Uh, probably five. It, it's If that. Um, Three, in, maybe. In, in Virginia, it's something like seven or eight million people. So the population is much larger. So, so, okay, so it's probably only like... 1.7? Okay, Nick okay, says wow. 1.7 million it, in the okay. state of West Virginia. Uh, oh, shoot, I was thinking about electoral votes. I think <laughs> five electoral votes. <laughs> five electoral votes. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, the entirety of the state of Virginia does not really buy into Virginia Tech football or UVA sports or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that part of, of it is, is different. But other than that, there is a lot of similarities. Right. Well, let's go ahead and get into this matchup. West Virginia has a lot of playmakers on offense, and we'll touch on a lot of them. But it starts with their quarterback and JT Daniels, a transfer from Georgia, originally started at USC. So this kid has a lot of experience playing at a high level, and that should work to his advantage in Lane Stadium. Yeah, he's been a starter now at his third different school. He's never been able to hold on to a starting job long term, but he's faced a lot of quality competition. And for his career, 38 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. Uh, he's got a good arm, completes well over 60% of his passes. Uh, he's made them a better offense for, from last year, I, I think. They're, they're more capable of stretching the field. Um, he was a great pickup for him in the transfer portal. Um, I, I don't I, – I think if, if their defense w- was, was better – then, then I think Neil Brown would have a legit chance to save his job. But right now it doesn't quite look like it is. But uh, there, as, if you were a neutral and you didn't care about West Virginia football either way, you would enjoy watching a West Virginia football game because, they, you know, they go out there and they make plays, man. Yeah, they're, they're, a, they're always a, a good physical team. You know, they look like, a, like an athletic team to me, and they're fun to watch. I enjoyed watching their, their game against Pitt. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Daniels, did you say 38 touchdowns and 18 interceptions? I believe that's right. That's not a great ratio. Right. You know, this year it's 6-2, and two, so it's a little bit better. Uh, six, six touchdowns and two interceptions. Um, it's interesting to look at, to compare him and Grant Wells. Uh, Daniels, 64.1% of his passes. Wells, 65.6. Uh, Daniels, 753 yards. Wells, 651. 
Now, the, where they, the touchdown interception ratio is different, Daniels is 6-2, to two and, and Wells has brought himself up to four <laughs> touchdowns and four interceptions. So uh, when you look at it that way, and, and I'm sorry, I don't have the Russian stats in front of me, but uh, I was surprised when you ran the numbers that Daniels has a career. It's like minus 250 to 300 yards. Minus, uh, he averages like minus three yards a carry for his career. Right, so historically, he's not a running quarterback. Yeah, right? uh, the ODU quarterback had a second career positive yardage game against Virginia Tech when he rushed for, what, seven yards, which is seven times his previous career high. And I remember Jerkovic <laughs> can't run for, for squat, but he ran not, not this year against Virginia Tech, but he did last year. He had like a couple of key runs uh-huh. last year. So you never know what a quarterback's going to do, but – it's it's interesting to look at the two QBs and see how similar they are statistically. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the lack of mobility with Daniels because Virginia Tech has certainly struggled with mobile quarterbacks in the past, and thankfully they don't really have to scheme for that with Daniels this right. week because that's just not his strong suit. Um, getting into some of the weapons around JT Daniels, though, we'll start with the run game. West Virginia looks like they found a diamond in the rough in C.J. Donaldson, who's been a big contributor this year given his lack of recruitment. 6'2", 240 pounds. He was a tight end. All right, so 247 ranked him the number 111 player in Florida last year and the number 46 tight end in the country. So he enrolls at West Virginia, I think, in the spring. And at one point they had some running backs dinged up, and, and they needed a body at running backs. They were like, he's 6'2", 240. Let's just put him there for a week because we need somebody. Well, here he is now, 28 carries, averaging 9.4 yards per carry and six touchdowns three games into his career. And he's just running over dudes. Uh, he's a monster. Sometimes he doesn't play very hard when the ball's not in his hands, which I think is typical of younger players. He, did, he didn't do as well against Kansas, had a big game against Pitt, and obviously had a big game against Towson last week, which, you know, they couldn't put up much of a fight. Uh, Pitt didn't know what they were getting themselves into. I mean, there was no film on him. He's just some dude. He wasn't even listed second on their depth chart. It was, he was actually listed third with like an or between him and the second guy. So he wasn't even a guy you'd really be expecting to play. Like if I would have gone into that game as a Pitt coach, I'd be like, maybe he'll cut, touch the ball two or three times, but that's it. And certainly you don't expect him to go out there and play like he did. The good news for Virginia Tech is, you know, he's, he's a really physical big player but Virginia Tech has three games of film on him they're not going to be surprised they know what he's capable of doing they know they're going to have to gang tackle they know they're going to have to get penetration to make sure he doesn't get running downhill against smaller defensive backs um they won't be taken surprise uh, by surprise like Pittsburgh was but uh yeah I think he's a guy that's got a lot of ability and it honestly goes to show you how much of a crapshoot and luck is involved in recruiting a lot of times these days. I mean, this guy was a three-star tight end, middle of the pack. I think his only other visits were like that he took were like South Florida and some other smaller school. Yeah. And so, and the guy looks like he's going to be a thousand-yard rusher at some point for West Virginia. I mean, is that luck or is that, or is that good recruiting? I mean, maybe some of both. So it's uh, you know, the I make up these roster cards, so this is my kind of my window into things and. He averages more per carry than that Nick Gallo averages per reception. <laughs> you know, he's got 9.4 yards carry. Gallo's got 7.8. And that's not denigrating Gallo. It's just interesting whenever you got a runner who averages more per carry than, than Virginia Tech's leading receiver. Nick Gallo is the most catches of anybody on the team. Mm-hmm. And so the other thing, when, when you talk about Donaldson's size, again, 6'2", 240. Dax Hollyfield is 6'1", 245. 
So what's going to happen here? Dax has been playing much more downhill, yeah, uh, making much more physical contact. Uh, they typically run Donaldson up the middle. The highlights you watched, right? Yeah, and I he mean, yeah, he's got good vision. So he made a few cuts to the outside too. I mean, this is a good athlete. He looks like a good player, but. And he's not going to average 9.4 yards per carry against Virginia Tech. Of course not. Um, so that's going to be an interesting matchup to see is Dax against Donaldson. D- Dax against Donaldson. But the main thing, though, is his defensive lineman getting penetration to interrupt his uh, straight-ahead style. Like, don't let him get up to speed and running downhill once he gets to the linebacker level and the secondary level. Yeah. That's when he's a load to handle. Yeah, he's not a guy that's going to take the, the handoff and hit the hole really quick. You don't want to. I don't think so. Well, I, I don't. It's it's a small sample size. Yeah. Like twenty eight carries for his career. Yeah. Uh, looks like he's got good vision to me. It depends on the style of, of running play. Um, West Virginia's offensive line has not been great this year, but they have opened some holes for him, and he's exploited those holes by running over linebackers and defensive backs once he gets through those holes. So that's what's going to be key for Tech. Like they have to stop him at the line of scrimmage. Because once he gets five, ten yards past the line of scrimmage, that's when he's really hard to handle. Yeah. How worried are you that this game will be a little bit of deja vu from the game last year in the sense that the West Virginia run game won then the game, Letty Brown rips off an 80-yard run at the beginning of the game, and our lack of offensive talent lost us the game? Yeah, uh, I hear you. And I, I think West Virginia is – I think they're probably more explosive in the passing game this year than they were last year. In fact, I would I would you know put money that they are um, – I think Tech's defense is, is a better defense than the one that went up there last year. Like, I don't think they'll break off an 80-yard run on the first drive of the game, but who really knows? That game looked like it was going to be a blowout early in favor of West Virginia. Yeah. Like they scored the first. They went up like, 14 to nothing. Yeah, and it's like, oh, Real my quick. God. Yeah. yeah, and then Tech came back and, you know, obviously could have won the game at the end. Um, so you're just thinking. So, like, Tech didn't start well, and then they didn't finish the last two plays. Um, I think it's a... I, th- I think the tech defense will will match them, for the most part. But but I think also th- I think they'll kind of cancel each other out. I think the tech defense has been dominant against a bunch of bad offenses, and I and I think the West Virginia uh, defense hasn't been so great. But they faced some good offenses too. So uh, I, I think they'll kind of maybe cancel each other out. My my gut feeling is that it's going to take thirty points to win this one for Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, uh, Jake, I don't know if you can scroll through the uh, through the chat comments, but uh, I did see something from Scott Glessner about how many points WVU has scored in the fourth quarters of recent games. And, and last year is an example of that. They WVU did not have a great second half offensively. So, uh, you know, I would say WVU's faced a better quality competition, particularly when they played Pitt. And we don't know how good Kansas is. Well, Kansas, Kansas is three and zero, and they just smoked Houston on the road now. Right. So Kansas, Kansas. Uh, this goes to show you, off topic, uh, how much coaching matters. Like Lance Leopold goes to to Kansas from Buffalo, and all of a sudden Kansas is three and zero and winning road games against West Virginia and Houston. And his old school Buffalo, after being so good when he was there, is losing on Hell Marys to Holly Cross, an FCS team. Yeah, yeah. So um, WVU is has faced better teams, and from that standpoint, it's probably more prepared. So there may be an adjustment period, kind of like what you saw in Morgantown last year when they scored 14 quick ones and Tech adjusted and, and played better for the rest of the game. So that's another thing to watch is uh, how are these two teams coming out of the gate. And I say this all the time, you know, we, we get 
Virginia Tech gets really excited about Inner Sandman, and they get really pumped up. Well, so does the other team. <laughs> they love that stuff. You know when they come in here and they see the atmosphere that they get just as fired up as Virginia Tech's players. So it uh, be interesting to watch those two things. West Virginia's run game will certainly be hard to keep up with. I would almost argue that their pass game is a little more lethal. A guy in Bryce Ford Wheaton who's averaging 12.3 yards per catch. He's a big guy, too. What is he? What is he? 6'3", 224? 6'3", 224, yeah. Yeah, uh, so he's he's going to be a different type of receiver that Virginia Tech has, has faced this year. Um, I, I don't know that you know he's a hugely explosive guy, but he's a darn productive player. I mean, I think he caught – he didn't play as much this past week against Towson because they didn't need him. But in the first two games, he caught 20 passes combined against two FBS teams uh, or two Power 5 teams and scored four touchdowns in those two games. So uh, th- this guy, along with former West Virginia receiver Ollie Jennings III, who's at ODU now, is going to be the two best receivers Virginia Tech has uh, faced right now uh, uh, so far this year. Uh, well, and God, well, honestly, Zay Flowers was darn good, too. You just can't tell it because, because their, O-line, because is their so O-line is so hard. So let's add a clarifying statement yeah. here. West Virginia's O-line is not great, but they're not as bad as Boston College. Nothing's as bad as Boston <laughs> College's <laughs> That may literally line. be the worst offensive line in the country. Well, like you just said, I was going to mention the offensive line. Next, we'll certainly see a familiar face in Doug Nestor. Their offense in general has a lot of star power, but is it a fair assumption that the offensive line will struggle the most on that side of the ball? Maybe. Uh, I, I think Nestor's listed like number one at, at one position and number two at another position. And the first game he started at right tackle, and then the next game he started at right guard. And then this past week's game he started at right guard, but he also played 11 snaps at center. At center so yeah. he's played three different positions in – in three games. So I do think they have some depth issues up there and some uh, continuity issues, uh, which is a little bit surprising because they do have some experienced guys up there. Um, And again, their fans are probably uh, saying the same thing that Virginia Tech fans are saying. Like, uh, we've got some veteran guys up front. They probably could be playing better than they are. When is that going to happen? Is it going to happen this Thursday or is it going to be later in the season? So, uh, of course, Doug Nestor's name, name jumps off the page at you if, if you're a Hokie yeah. fan. But, but another one, if you follow recruiting, Wyatt Milam has yeah. cracked the starting lineup. They were, uh, they were high school teammates. teammates yeah, yeah, and Milam is a guy that, that we thought was coming here. Uh, Some I people thought he did. was. Did you really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, Katie was connected to recruiting. At the yeah, time. I was in recruiting at the time, so I yeah. remember making lots of cards for Lots him. of <laughs> cards. Uh, 200 birthday cards. Yeah, we're going to Nestor's. I think he's a better fit for, for guard, for sure. Uh, he's six seven, which I think is why people want to – and he's listed at ta- – he's still listed at tackle in their depth chart. Yeah, I hear yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he started – he hadn't played a snap at tackle the last two games. Yeah. We'll see what happens this week. Um, so so don't rail on me for my roster card. I'm just following WVU's depth chart. Yeah, I know. It's so – so, but, you know, as we know that it can be confusing. And, and when you have confusion, like what your, what your depth chart looks like on the offensive line, but then when you drill down into the snaps and see these guys are playing multiple positions yeah. all over the place over multiple games, you know that they're, they've got some issues. So hopefully that's those are some issues that, uh, that Virginia Tech can take advantage of. Yeah. Yep. So here's an interesting question. How much of an advantage factor do you think Virginia Tech has over West Virginia in the sense that they don't have to travel this week? So Mm -hmm. West Virginia has a very short week. I guess practice Monday, Tuesday. They come up here tomorrow, sit in the hotel all day Thursday night, and then you got to go play a game. Yeah, I would say generally those short week games would favor the home team. I think so. Yeah, because of that that travel day. Um, 
obviously both teams, I suspect, or at least both coaching staff, spent quite a lot of time last week thinking about not Wofford, not Towson, but, but you know, West Virginia and Virginia Tech. So we'll see. Um, it, it, does, it does favor it, I think, but... You know, I I think there there's so many you could you could think of so many different reasons to pick both teams in this game. Yeah. I think, and that's one of the reasons you you could you could uh, you could pick Virginia Tech. I think. So, David, when when you posted the article, let me check and see if you uh, see what your pick was. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Da- yeah. All right. So, David went with uh, you went with Virginia Tech, David. He did. All right. So. So I went. I went with Will VT. Ross, Will Ross kicks a game-winning All right. Uh, so David uh, says Will Ross is going to kick a game-winning field goal. No pressure. Um, all right. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead there. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. I was just curious. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to game picks at the end of the show. We already know David picked the Hokies. Um, so like we said, advantage for for Virginia Tech that they don't have to travel this week. I would argue an advantage for West Virginia is that game one they've already gone on the road in a hostile environment mm. in a rivalry game and they lost. And so I feel like. They're kind of playing with some intensity in the fact that they've already, you know, gone on the road. They felt what it's like to lose in that rivalry game, and now they have another chance to redeem themselves again in a hostile environment. I would I agree with that. Fair. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. It's not easy to come into to Lane, uh, but and I'm not saying Heinz, not Heinz Field anymore. Whatever, Max whatever. Sure Stadium. Yeah, Thank I'm still, sure. I'm still going to call it Heinz Field. Yeah. Um, it's clearly it's nowhere close to Lane, but that was a really good crowd that night. And it was and a pit-heavy crowd. Right. They didn't sell out just because WVU was there. There were a lot of pit fans Yeah, that's there. one that pit fans actually showed up for. Yeah. Uh, again, a good rivalry game that barely gets played anymore. What a I shame. Know. No more Oklahoma-Oklahoma State now, Yeah. by the way. That, that, that rivalry is going away. What a shame. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's a great point um, that they're not going to be – they're not going to be intimidated or anything like that, and and a lot of teams. No, it's a good crowd. It's it's a good atmosphere at West Virginia games, but it's not quite Thursday night inner Sandman Virginia Tech level. Um, they're going to be fired up to play in that environment. That's what course. I'm saying, man. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you're expecting them to come out and not hit the ground running, so to speak, I think you're going to uh, like, be a little like, surprised. Like te- I think te- they'll be ready. Tech is yeah. going to have to beat them. Like they're not going to come in and say, "Oh my gosh, well, I've never seen anything start like chucking this interceptions right, and things right, like exactly. that." That pit game definitely prepped them for a game like this. More to get to ahead of the game on Thursday, but let's go ahead and send it over to Jake in the fourth chair. I've got a few things for you guys. Uh, we talked at the break. Uh, Will actually found that senior analyst Brian Christ with the Hokies is going to have a little family reunion on Thursday night. His son Jackson is a walk-on quarterback for West Ooh. Virginia. So obviously I don't think Jackson's going to see the field, but uh, it'll be cool to see a little family rivalry uh, facing off on Thursday. Uh, something that happened while we were in the first half of the podcast, the ACC announced that it is moving its offices from Greensboro to Charlotte in 2023. Maybe a move we kind of expected. Yeah. <laughs> I love this move by Jim Phillips. It should have always been in Charlotte. Been. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last one for you here. This is the one that I think is going to get Will and Chris going a little bit. So uh, Nick Brown, who is assisting with our production today, actually brought home a West Virginia fan guide that they hand out at the stadiums. Uh, and I just randomly flipped to a page and found the high five rules that West Virginia fans have to abide by uh, while they're at games. So let's read off three of these for you. Uh, no excessive drinking. Intoxicated fans are not allowed inside or outside the stadium. I don't think I've ever seen a West Virginia fan drink. So. Already. Uh, no foul or abusive language. 
we're good there. Well, damn it, uh, that's no good. And no throwing stuff, anything onto the field. Uh, so, Chris and Will, uh, have you ever seen a West Virginia fan break the high five rules? <laughs> <laughs> have I seen uh, it? <laughs> I have ever not seen a West Virginia fan break the high five <laughs> rules. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> Wonder how much those are enforced. Not in all seriousness. So, so I don't, again, I was on the field in 01 and 05, and Tech pummeled them both times. So they were, I wasn't there in 03. And right, right. That's when those rules got broken big yeah, time. Yeah, um, for sure. And I think there was so, and I'm not condoning any of their actions, of course, but I, I don't, because I don't understand the whole let's, let's assault people and throw things at people. I don't, I don't get that. Um, that whole narrative. But, no but I do understand the emotions of it. And that, like, they thought their football program was done, and it was our fault. And not only was it our fault, we lied to them and said uh, we wouldn't accept an, inv- an, an invitation to the ACC even if we got one. And well, then guess what? We got one, and we accepted it. Right? That, that girl said, yeah, we'll date right, right. you after all. And we said, so, see you, honey. Put, 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 put yours, I mean, we just spent a whole summer talking about conference realignment. Yeah. And imagine – how you would feel if like the SEC and Big Ten expanded and like, and you know the SEC decided they want the they wanted the North Carolina market and the Carolina basketball brand and they had, they invited Carolina and then the Big Ten invited UVA because of uh, AAU membership right. over Virginia Tech. Imagine how you would feel about those two schools, especially if they if they came out and made public statements. We're not leaving the ACC. We'd never accept an invitation. Until we and are. then they do. Yeah. Imagine how you would feel if that happened. Uh-huh. And imagine how you would feel the next time we played those schools in football. So yeah. I understand the emotions of it back then. And I think those emotions have died down to a certain extent now. Like, I don't think there were any major issues in the last game. Uh, I could go on a rant about my experience oh, in Morgantown you? last year. Okay. It was terrible. Last I year. won't be hmm. returning. Yeah, I don't know if any of y'all went to that game, no. but it was just, it was not good. Okay. Well, they, I, do, I, I do have to say the high five rules, I looked it up. They were introduced in 2011. So prior to 2011, all of that, A-OK. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Endorsed even. <laughs> I always said when I retire, I would open a, a used furniture store in Morgantown. It's just some nice uh, oh spending money. Uh, Jeff Holland in the YouTube chat has said that the high five rules does assume that West Virginia fans can read. So we, (laughs) (laughs) Jeff has played in that rivalry. Mm -hmm. Jeff played in in some of those games we talked about earlier. He was there in the 93 game. (laughs) He was up there when Virginia tech shut him out. And as part of that defensive line in 1995, he's, he's had to, he's, I bet Jeff kept his helmet on, on the sideline the the entire game. (laughs) I'm sure he knows what it feels like to have a battery ding off the side of a football helmet yeah i think players of that that era will tell you one of the things the coaches told them is keep their helmets on at all times no question i think in 97 they tried to turn over the team bus when tech arrived at the stadium well i think they did that to miami in 96 okay that was the game where i think miami blocked a punt at the yeah, end of the game it was to a really win. good game yeah great game you know and man, the, the big east had some awesome rivalries i know just I know. great football conference just poorly run at the top well, that was fun, Jake. Thank you. We'll jump back into this rivalry, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. As highly as we've talked about the West Virginia offense, you can't necessarily say the same about their defense, especially their linebacker group, which has had a lot of issues, Chris, as you know. Yeah, uh, they generally seem to like go in the opposite direction of what they're supposed to be going in. Uh, they've struggled in coverage um, out of 
the three of their linebackers that play a lot. So each each of them have played two games. So that's six total games. They've gotten one good coverage grade out of those games. So just uh, just not not a very good uh, not a very good performance from that group so far this season. Uh, this would be a game where I would feel really good about Tech's old smoke and mirrors offense that always was always getting so so good at getting linebackers out of position and confusing them and things like that. So you'd like to see something dialed up this week, something with motion, uh, something that can uh, that can throw off the opposition's reads, go, go against the tendencies that you've established the first three games on a certain percentage of plays because uh, that group of linebackers has not been disciplined this year. And in the secondary, they've lost their best corner for a good chunk of the season due to an injury. This is a really good cover corner. And as a result, they, they just don't have any standout coverage guys in their back end at all. So this is a chance to put up some yards in the passing game for sure. Well, you gotta you gotta control the line of scrimmage and and in the running game get through the line of scrimmage. I, I really think that's key to the game. I talked about that a little bit in my part of the preview that it could come down to and, and we'll we'll get into the D line here in a second. Uh, Dante Stills, you wrote is is their really most most player. talented player. If they can neutralize him, not allow penetration. Give Grant Wells time to pass and and give, we hope Keyshawn King plays, get the running backs through the line of scrimmage. I like Tech's chances. If they can't control the line of scrimmage, I think they're in big trouble. Yeah, you alluded to it. Uh, West Virginia playing without Charles Woodson, who was injured in game one, was really a key piece to that cornerback room. So I know that they're going to struggle there, and hopefully Virginia Tech has the advantage um, in pass coverage. Good week for the wide receivers to get healthy and make some progress. And Will, like you said, I mean, if there's one key piece to uh, the West Virginia defense in general, and specifically that defensive line, it's going to be Dante Stills, who's going to pose a really big challenge for our inexperienced offense. Yes, an, an endless line of Stills uh, people playing for WVU. Gary Stills was a really good linebacker, yeah. I believe, for them in the 1990s. I remember when he played there. And, yeah. you know, Dante you know, grew up in West Virginia with, with his dad, of course. And Virginia Tech was one of his final group of schools and he took a few visits to Tech, and I, I went back and found an old article that he did for Tech Sideline for, yeah. with Jason Stame from when he was being recruited back in 2017, I guess. He loved Virginia Tech. He, he, he really liked it. Uh, the Tech coaches recruited him as hard, and but he said the Tech coaches were, act, were going to his basketball games to show yeah. him how much old they school. wanted him, right? The problem is he was really never going anywhere besides West Virginia because yeah. that's where his dad went to school and he grew up in West Virginia. If you grow up in the state of West Virginia, unless your parents went to Marshall, you're a West Virginia fan. That's just the way that state, that state is. And especially when you're, when your dad's a, a West Virginia football alum and a really good player for West Virginia, I almost felt like that effort by the tech staff would have been better spent elsewhere, but they did a really good job recruiting him. But I think in the modern era, you still have to put in that effort because you never know with the transfer portal and NIL and that stuff and that's players true. moving so much. That's true. Go ahead and spend the time to establish that relationship because it might pay off. Okay. Now, West Virginia is a different case, but it, but in other cases, definitely work those relationships, even if you don't think you're getting a kid because it could pay off later. Yeah, It obviously didn't work out in the end, but when you said that, it just reminds me of Doug Nestor's recruitment because he mm -hmm. was originally committed to Ohio State for a long time. Sure. And when he decommitted, you know, the Virginia Tech coaches still um, kept up that relationship with him and allowed him to commit to Virginia Isn't Tech. that the one where Fuente spent like six hours His own home visit him? with Doug Nestor went so well that it lasted six hours. Yeah. They got along so well. 
And that's why it was really sad to me when Nestor transferred. Yeah. Because it started out, the relationship started out with Virginia Tech and Fuente started out on such a such a strong footing. Yeah. We talked about Dante Stills obviously has ties to this game with his dad um, playing at West Virginia. It's also a big one for Grant Wells as yeah. a West Virginia native and, you know, played the first half of his college career at Marshall. So I'm sure he's got a lot of family coming in for this one. I talked to Grant Wells at Media Day. Uh, his dad went to Virginia Tech, so he grew up a Virginia Tech fan. But as I just talked about, if you're a kid growing up in West Virginia, you're a West Virginia fan, too. That's just what everybody does in that state. So he's one of those rare people who grew up both a Virginia Tech fan and a West Virginia fan. There's a few people like that. Uh, is he the one whose dad, whose dad was a walk-on? I believe so. And then got injured, and, got and that, injured that was the that end guy. of his I, I career? Think, I think that's right. Um, uh, Grant Wells, you know, his first game in Lane Stadium was Beamer's last game. So, you know, he as a fan is a fan. Um, yeah. He goes back with both programs. So you, we wonder, like, how many players on either team understand the rivalry? Well, if there's any one player on either team that understands the rivalry, it's Grant Wells for yeah. sure. Yep. Um, something that may be of concern. We talked in the preseason about how depth being an issue and there's obviously been injuries here and there showing itself already this season. How much does your confidence scale range in this one if you knew that we had everyone 100 percent? That's a good question. Um, and I actually made my game pick based on that. And then I made my game pick based on faith because I see the Virginia Tech offense evolving. Um, we saw Jaden Blue make a couple of really nice catches. Mm -hmm. We saw Christian Moss lay out and make a catch. You're starting, and that was one of my bigger concerns at the beginning of the year was who's going to make plays in the wide receiver core. Sure. You know, you can count on Caleb Smith and he can make plays in tight coverage but as far as those crazy athletic plays so you see that part of things developing you see Grant Wells getting more comfortable in the offense um, so you, you know to answer the question if that if the offense in particular evolves fast enough and everybody's healthy then I'm still probably only about 50 50 you know so that's I'd, where I am I'd feel a lot better uh, a lot better if like if I knew, I mean, I think Jaden Blue was approaching one hundred percent, if yeah. not already. Well, he has so, slid up to first on the depth chart. Right, right, and I'm, I'm I know Kashawn King will play. I'd be shocked if he didn't at least. Yeah, is he one hundred percent? I mean, who really knows? Uh, how close to Caleb is Caleb Smith to be in one hundred percent? I don't think very because he came up lame again in the game on Saturday and. It's a shorter week now, right? Yeah. Somebody I know who was at the ODU game said he watched Smith walk off to the locker room, kind of clutching his side, I like, saw his, that. like he, his he abdomen walked, era. Yeah, he walked right area. in front of the end zone right. and he was holding. Well, down, that, yeah. that's what he was favoring when he came Same up area. the the other day. So yeah. and that that's a tough injury that can in a contact sport that can be difficult to get over. But like, if I knew Caleb Smith was a hundred percent, that I knew Kashawn King was a hundred percent, and I and I Malachi Thomas was available, and I knew he was a hundred percent. And I knew Lofton was 100%. And if Silas Janzi hadn't gotten hurt on Saturday and I knew he was 100%, I would pick Tech. Hmm. Do you see this game in terms of setting the tone for the October gauntlet? You win this game, you bring that confidence into UNC and beyond, and you lose, it could get worse. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it this way. I think uh, this is the first of, I believe, a five-game stretch that where all the opponents are good. Mm -hmm. um, I think the back four of those tech's gonna steal at least one and i say steal because they go on the road to unc right. they go on the road to Pitt, they they go on the road to nc state <laughs> and they host miami yeah 
those are all, I mean, if you're going to pick them, Tech's not going to win. Maybe UNC. Right, right. But, but, and, I, but, and, I th- but I think that Tech will steal one of those four. It's, it's a much better look to go into it two and two, excuse me. Three and um, one. Three and one than two and two. Uh, it, it, because if you go into that two and two and you go one and three, then you're three and let's do the math, three and five. Yeah. Eh, I'd rather be four and four coming out of that with a chance to win, you know, three at the end. Yeah. So I totally forgot what the question was, but I, it's just a it's just a much better vibe going in at three and one than two and two. I think so. Uh, now that that that, that said, I, I think this team has displayed some some mental toughness. Like when they lost to Old Dominion, they didn't let it get them down. They came back and and, and they played a good game against Boston College. They played hard for all sixty minutes. They, they didn't seem like the the ODU loss phased them too much uh, mentally or actually didn't seem like it phased them at all so I, I do think this is going to be a mentally stronger football team under Brent Pry. like you're not going to see one loss crush them and you're not going to see one win get them too high which which is what you want I agree with you about the the, uh, the games after that like if all four of those games if you picked them in the micro individually tech would lose them all but you don't see them losing four in a row either when you think about it in the macro sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think it, it, it's an important game from a win-loss standpoint um, for the end of the season, for bowl eligibility. Obviously, losing to ODU backed you in a corner. So you got you got to steal one somewhere else to, to make up for that. Um, and I don't think West Virginia would – beating West Virginia would be stealing one because it's a home game against a team with very similar talent, but you got to steal one of those down the line. Now, that being said, it's like – this game's so big. It's West Virginia. It's like I know we play Carolina, who is another big rivalry for me personally. The very next week, but like West Virginia game is so big that I'm I'm find it hard to even focus on any of those games. After. I'm not thinking about anything beyond. I don't even know who we play after North Carolina. Which Somebody, game is Pitt. that? Pitt. Pitt. I, I had to I had to think about it this morning. Somebody's like, so what are the next games? I said, well, I know Carolina's October <laughs> yeah. 1st because I'm actually going to see it, so I know that. Yeah. And then this person was like, well, what's after that? And I was like, uh, and he said, uh, Pitt? And I said, oh, yeah, Pitt. So, yeah, I'm not looking beyond September right now. And I think I tend to – I personally tend to do that every year uh, because the – lately this is not true, but September tends to be – um, out of conference stuff, you know, where you're you're trying to figure out what you got, and you think after three or four games that you got a good idea of what you got before you start the October November stuff. So September really sets the table, you know. And you're right, I'm locked into it, and not really thinking about beyond that. Well, this game is big in so many ways. We've talked about it all day long. It's big for Grant Wells and his history with the state of West Virginia. It's also big for Brent Pry and the history with growing up in mm. West Virginia, his dad coaching there. Before we kind of close the page on this game, what is the key to the Hokies to get a win on Thursday night? Uh, they, they've got to find a way to generate some more big plays on offense. Um, Which gets down to the offensive line, I think. Yeah, and, and – a healthy Kashawn King breaking tackles because you can't go out there and have 31 carries with your top two running backs and then not break a single tackle. Um, That that's, that's the big thing. Um, Keep Wells upright and don't turn the ball over. Like this isn't West Virginia's offense is so potent that if you turn the ball over, they're going to exploit it and you're going to end up getting smoked. Yeah. You never really know how penalties and turnovers are going to go. Correct. They're unpredictable and special teams. But putting those things aside, I think the key is the the offensive line for Virginia Tech has to play better slash well. Mm-hmm. 
if the offense can't get rolling, I think we're going to be having a, a disappointing conversation yeah. here on Monday. In you're terms going to be of, talking 30 to 13 or something right. like that, West Virginia, I think, if the O-line doesn't, if, yeah. if the offense doesn't get going. Because I think every week we're looking at, you know, is the offense going to improve? Is the wide receivers going to get more separation? How are we in the run game? Things like that. Um, but on to game picks. So Will and David now 2-1, and one, Chris at 1-2. and two. Um, similar to the BC game picks, Will and David got the Hokies. Chris does not. David's pick was interesting, like we alluded to earlier. He thinks Will Ross kicks a game winner. Will, you also had a really close game, 30-28. to 28. Yeah, I wasn't going to put it on Will Ross to kick a game winner, but I do have a <laughs> two-point game. and and So that the, implies uh, a field goal at some point. What did, what did, how did, what did I pick Tech to score? 30. 30. That's three field goals. Yeah. Well, or, or, or a missed extra point missed in a field goal point. or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, so, I'll uh, take 15 safeties. It would be fine with me. But you said you said 30 is the key. Yes. And then, and then, then I planted right my flag there. Yeah, you sure did. This, this, is a, this is a separation game for the TSL staff because David and I are two and one. Chris is one and two. Yeah, I either catch up or I'm down by or two. Or he falls way behind because right. Chris did. I picked with the heart. I think Chris picked with his head and he did yeah. pick. I always pick with my head. Uh, yeah. I go back and forth. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I picked West Virginia to win because like there's more guarantees with the West Virginia roster. I don't know of any injuries that they have or anything like that outside of outside of their uh, their starting corner who's really good, but their offensive playmakers seem to be healthy. And like I said, if I knew Virginia Tech's top playmakers were going to be healthy, I would pick Tech. But we don't know that, and there's so much unknown. And I don't make picks based on unknown. Um, I will say that you're either going to have an ex- really exhilarating feeling on Thursday night or you're going to have a horrible feeling. Mm. Uh, all right, so from a horrible feeling standpoint, it's not that losing the trophy is big. Like, I don't want to lose any trophy, of course, but at least, like, if we lost the Commonwealth Cup to UVA this year, it would suck. But, oh, you get a chance to win it back next year. If we don't get the Black Diamond Trophy back on Thursday night, we may never get a chance to get it back again. Not in my uh, lifetime. I'm only 57. Imagine imagine going the rest of your life with West Virginia fans knowing that they've got that trophy in their trophy room and they never have to give it back to Virginia. Collecting dust and never having it. Because it never moves. If you're an old school Virginia Tech fan, that thought should absolutely sicken you. (laughs) Now, on, on on the other standpoint of it, if Virginia Tech wins that trophy the other night uh, on Thursday night, it's going to be a long time, if ever, that West Virginia will get a chance to to win it back. And I know, I know that would kill their fans. That 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 would sicken their fans just as much as it would sicken me the other way around. Now that being said, win or lose, I want to keep playing the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think this is what college football is all about. Um, you you take away the fun factors of it and. Guess what? It's not as fun anymore. Like you take away, stick it in. You take away West Virginia, and you know whatever else gets taken will get taken away through the years. Uh, I, I'm just win or lose. I'm in favor of continuing to play it. But it's like if Virginia Tech doesn't win, and there's no up game on the future schedule, and you think you may never have a chance to win that thing back, it's gonna hurt. I, it was. I think it was easy for Tech fans after 2005 to be like, "Yeah, the series is canceled, woohoo!" Because we had the we had the trophy. All right, we'll see how you feel on Friday morning if Tech doesn't have the trophy. 
Yeah, it's important to get the trophy back. It kind of reminds me of the COVID year because UVA had won the Commonwealth Cup the year before. And if you remember the COVID year and all the weird scheduling that happened with that, our game with UVA was in jeopardy of not being played, yet they yep. were going to keep it for two years if that was going to happen because it got canceled like three times in a row it or did, something. It was going to be the first game of the season. If, it was like the first point, or right? second. Yeah. I remember watching ACC Network and the COVID schedule comes out and we play them like the second game. I think it was going to be NC State, the, yeah. and that got canceled. And then it was going to be UVA, and that got canceled, and then finally and then it was they moved NC State, State again. Right. Yeah. So let's look at how the fans are voting. Not a lot of votes in so far, 380. And uh, 42% of Tech fans have Tech winning by 1 to 10. Yep. 33% have WVU winning by 1 to 10. So that's 75% that, that put it in that one score, basically one yeah. score territory. 2% of people had Wofford winning last week. That was like 28 votes for Wofford winning. I think they did that just to troll us or yeah. SUVA fans or something. I don't know. Now, only only 5% think Tech's going to win by 11-plus. Uh, that would be awesome There's actually 20% of votes for WVU to win by 11-plus. Hmm. So, so at, the, yeah. at this point, it's 53% to 47% pick WVU to win. So Tech fans either think Tech is going to win close or there's a decent chance West Virginia wins by double digits. Or there are some WVU fans who have found their way in. That's certainly possible. Yeah, there's always yeah. that that going on. Right. The preview article came out this morning, so not a lot of movement there yet. If you haven't read it, go make sure you go and do that. Talked a lot about football today. I'm sure there's questions in the in the chat, Jake, so let's get to some of those. There are a few good questions in here. Let's start with David Tracy. Uh, Chris, he wants to know that if the offensive line struggles have anything to do with the new offensive scheme or whether it's more of just a talent problem. I, I think it's some of it, and I think some of it is it's a pin and pull style scheme. And it's not like Tech hasn't done any of that before, but it seems to be very prominent now. Uh as I said, Jancy is a guy in the past who's been probably more effective as just blocking down on the guy in front of him or the side of him than he has been pulling. So some of it could be asking guys to do things that they aren't particularly suited for. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if Virginia Tech goes against any of their tendencies. Like, I, I'm, I don't think it's a talent issue amongst the starters because, like I said, we've seen all these guys play good football in the past. They've proven that they can do it. Now, some players are just so talented that they can play in any system. Others are just talented enough that or they're talented players, but there's certain things they're not suited for. Yeah. Like Norrell Pollard on defense is a perfect example. Like he, I think he's a really, really good player in this scheme and in Bud Foster's scheme. He probably played better than he should have in Justin Hamilton's scheme, in all, in all honesty. Uh, but he's much better suited for this scheme. So... Uh, Tim Settle is probably your one defensive tackle that Tech has ever recruited that have been would have been a great player play in, in both schemes, can yeah. play in anything. Um, we'll see. It's it's too early to tell because there's still a lot of adjustments. But I'll be honest, I have been disappointed because of just guys that have played a decent number of snaps. And I get that a couple of those guys were only sophomores, but they played significant snaps last year and played well. Um, plenty of time to turn it around, but it's it's – they're further behind than I thought they would be. We have one more. Uh, it's from Blake, Will, and Chris. Can you remember a time that the fan base was this excited for an unranked non-conference matchup <laughs> inside Lane Stadium? Unranked non-conference matchup. Non-conference. Uh, Man. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'd, I'd have to look at a list of games. Um, I'm tr yeah. Uh, it's tough because usually... 
the big ones, it's like number one Ohio State's coming to town or yeah, something right. like that. The last time West Virginia played here, they were sixth in the country. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, my brain goes to the 2012 Florida State game, but that's a conference match. Nebraska was ranked in 2009. No, if he's got an answer for that, <laughs> yeah, does he have an yeah, idea? I don't think he does. I think that was that was why he asked it. I mean, I think maybe was West Virginia ranked in '94 when they came in on Thursday night? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, maybe something like that. Uh, there were some games, uh, maybe like. There were night games back in the day, like 96, like maybe East Carolina. I don't know if they were ranked, but that was a big game. I remember it sleeted during that game and everything. Yeah. And still yeah. a lot of people there. That's going way That's back. That's going though. way back, though. Absolutely. Um, Non-conference, man. It's good food for thought. <laughs> well, it makes me want to go look at our schedules. Well, was yeah. A&M ranked in 2003 when they came in? I know they ended up having a horrible year. Like they, they Okay, they weren't ranked, so that probably A&M. In 2003. So that's probably Hurricane off the game. top of my head. Yeah. Hurricane game, and it was a big-name program in A&M. But they only went like 4-8 and eight that year. They weren't any good, but because of their name and the fact that it was a night game and it was in a hurricane, it's crazy. Like, the place was packed during a hurricane. It's hard, hard to imagine. Yeah, but, it does seem crazy to think that there's so much anticipation for this game. It's going to be a packed crowd for a Team that's one and two and not in our conference, but uh, but <laughs> when Notre Dame has come in here, they've been ranked oh, each yeah. time, yeah. right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, goodness, uh, Carolina was ranked for well, Carolina what? was a conference opponent. Duh. Uh, <laughs> I, I am not finding. I'm scrolling down, it, and, and it's that's, a good it's, question. It's gotta be a And M, right? I would think that would be a and Well, nobody wants to listen to a podcast while I'm scrolling through. <laughs> right. Okay, 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 no, 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 okay, okay. So we'll just East call Carolina, it. 2007, because it was the first game after April 16th. There we go. But that, it, but but that's kind of a special case yes. scenario, of course. Yeah. So if you threw that out, then I think it would be a and All right. Well, before we get out of here, game previews posted on TechSideline.com as of this morning. Make sure you go vote in the poll if you haven't yet. Tech Talk Live tomorrow night. So notes should be coming out about that. Anything else to look for? Uh, I think I'm going to do a uh, instead of obviously I'll be writing a column on Friday. So my normal Friday Q&A will be on Wednesday this week. Brandon Patterson will have his video preview tomorrow. And other than that, man, just uh, just just get ready. Almost time. Yeah, so come on by, check things out. Uh, if, if all you ever do is listen to the podcast, as I always say, we got a whole website attached <laughs> to this thing. It's actually what we started with. A lot of really excellent written content. I'm biased, but I think we have the best staff of writers covering Virginia Tech athletics. There are some other good writers that cover Virginia Tech, but I think as far as the amount of writing talent in one place. This is it. We certainly have the biggest staff. Yes, We're like we have the Alabama of Virginia Tech <laughs> Athletics. We got more staff members in this one room right now than anybody else has working for their entire site. That's right. And so uh, for the monthly subscriptions, first month is free. And for students, uh, student subscriptions are free. So uh, check it out. Nice. Well, another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank everybody on set today. David Cunningham was in the first half. I wanted to make sure I mentioned this. I just went and checked his Twitter. He's two followers away from 9,000. So Please give David two more Twitter followers. If you're listening to this and you don't follow him, he's at the real Decon. Make sure you do that. Um, Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. You can I'm follow at 12,000 followers. David's going to nice. catch me one. He's going to catch me. 
Yeah. Well, if you don't follow Will, make sure you follow him at Will Stewart TSL. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. He's at Chris Coleman TSL. Jake Lyman, hosting the first half of the podcast, did a great job with that and his contributions in the fourth chair during the second half. Um, Jack Brizendine, producing, did a great job with Nick, Nick Brown shadowing over. Hokies take the field for game four against West Virginia in the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy night trophy on Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. in Lane Stadium. Renewing this rivalry in Blacksburg for the first time in 18 years. It's shaping up to be a good one. We'll be back Monday morning to break it all down. I'm Katie Adams signing off, sliding off from all of us here at Tech Sideline. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and enjoy your weekend.